Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 249 of the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Today we are talking about one of my favorite things, sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think especially any new mom with their child within one year of age, sleep is what they dream of. Yes. <laughs> what they yep. would want to be their favorite pastime, but sometimes it just doesn't happen. Yeah. I remember like the early days with Noah looking at Byron being like, are we ever going to sleep through the night again? And <laughs> now we do. It's just, you know, sometimes less hours and less consecutive, but all good. Good. Uh, well, today we are not talking about sleep in the constructs of being a new mom necessarily. We're going to talk about various drivers to insomnia, but more so we're going to be talking on up-to-date research with COVID and melatonin. We're going to talk about the role of melatonin, not only as an antioxidant that promotes restful qualitative sleep, but that also helps with estrogen metabolism, fertility, overall antioxidant functioning, helping to scavenge free radicals and reduce oxidative stress in the body, which then lends a hand to cardiometabolic research and so much more. We're also going to be talking about synergistic tools to help with sleep support. So in the herbal and traditional Chinese medicine world, as well as some of the kind of shock and awe statistics on sleep deficiency and all cause mortality, which is death and disease. Pretty cool stuff. Before we... Not the death part. Yeah, not not the death, but the... <laughs> the solution. Solution and the impact of, of sleep. Yeah, not the death part. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. Um, so updates just before we dive in. So first things first, at the time of this episode airing, we now have an option to purchase our 12-week food as medicine ketosis program as an archive. So this has been a request of a lot of podcast listeners and individuals who've gone through our program in the past, like, can we just get it all at once and can we have it forever? And so we finally have made that happen. Yes. And honestly, I think it might be available next week, Becky, but we keep teasing you guys and teasing you guys, and it will be available as of August 1st. So regardless of what calendar day you're listening to this, as of August 1st, 2021, you will have access to purchase our 12-week food as medicine virtual ketosis program in an evergreen format. So instead of us offering this just quarterly, we will still offer it live in January of 2022, but you don't want to wait a whole half of a year to participate. We're doing this so that you can uh, really take advantage of this comprehensive functional medicine approach to whole body health, learning about metabolic flexibility, tapping into the power of nutritional ketosis, and really finally achieving that 
quote unquote keto high and understanding how becoming a hybrid using both fat as fuel and regulating your glucose response can really harness your energy, support metabolic health, balance hormones, support healthy digestive system, and so much more. So we're offering this instead of $299 for our live option, we're offering this program for only $99. And you can go on over to AllieMillerRD.com, check out books and programs, and you will see it available as our archive 12-week food as medicine ketosis program. So you will have access ongoing through the lifehood of our website. You will not be in the Slack channel, which is our you know immediate communication with current participants, uh, but you will have access to six classes, all of them an hour and a half or so in length. You have all of the customized materials as well as helpful downloads and resources, product recommendations, protocols, and so much more. It is beyond valuable at under $100, and we're sure that you all will get fantastic outcomes when you purchase. Yes. All right. And then beyond that, we talked about last episode when we interviewed Ashley from Grace Holistic Skin. She is one of our naturally nourished ambassadors, and we're actually taking new applications right now for a rehaul or or relaunch of our ambassador program in October but applications are open now. So if you are a health coach, if you are just a mama who like has a real big network of other moms, if you're a studio owner, yoga or Pilates, this could be a really, really good fit and a great way to recommend to your clientele our tried and true tested products. Yes. So like Becky said, if you just love the Naturally Nourished Supplement line and you're already giving GABACalm to all your friends and neighbors, maybe you're a fantastic fit. Or if you have an audience as an influencer in the wellness sphere and you feel that you could promote our 10-day detox or doing the Beat the Bloat cleanse or you want to do the probiotic challenge along with your audience, we would set you up with, with a unique discount code and you would get some nice kickbacks for your efforts on promoting our brand to your audience. So um, that would be a fantastic thing to explore. It doesn't hurt to apply. It's of course free to apply and we will be reviewing applicants all the way up until early October when we'll launch the next round. And that is our Naturally Nourished Supplement Ambassador Program and we will have a link in the show notes. Yes. And then last but not least for today, um, based on the content coming in this episode and then even next week episode, um, we wanted to give you guys a little flash sale discount on our Adrenal Rehab program. So right now with code ADRENAL99, you get $100 off our Adrenal Rehab program. And this is a program you get all at once. Um, It's meant to be done over the course of four weeks, but you can take as long or as little time. You can rewatch over and over. Those videos are good for a lifetime and all of the content is really evergreen in there. Yes. So I developed this in between my two books, The Anti-Anxiety Diet and The Anti-Anxiety Diet Cookbook, when I knew that the science and strategy of the anti-anxiety diet was really deep dive and people needed kind of a more tangible 
and personalized approach of understanding how stress impacts their whole body. So with today's topic on sleep and melatonin, we wanted to provide you this discount code so that when we're talking about the root causes of imbalance, your adrenals with that overdrive fight or flight response, the epinephrine or adrenaline chemical surge, as well as cortisol imbalance can be some of the primary influencing factors of disrupting your sleep quality and imbalancing that HPA axis, which is that hypothalamic pituitary adrenal, that regulatory system that puts you in a parasympathetic rest, digest, metabolize, reproduce all the good things. Um, So definitely check it out, especially if you're a fan of the anti-anxiety diet. This is three plus hours of video content, a lot of customized interactive worksheets. So we talk about like your allostatic stress load and determining how you can edit your commitments and really um, balance off or bubble wrap your stressors through daily supplement strategy or lifestyle, you know, things like grounding, blue blockers for the screen time, that you're spending and how you can offset your current stress thumbprint, if you will, to become more balanced or resilient so that you can be rebounded in your adrenal glands. I also do five different recipes in my kitchen, so cooking demos. There are also advanced lab test recommendations and supplement strategy and so much more. So again, the code is ADRENAL99. It just so happens that we're offering two programs, which was really coincidental. We off the cuff decided to do this archive version of our 12-week keto program so that you guys had a tool through the seasons. Uh, But this was always as a plan getting into the fall. So we're happy to offer you guys savings on both. Yep. And no reason you couldn't do both or stack them one after the other. Yes. Um, And I love that the Adrenal Rehab too comes with four weeks of emails to kind of keep you accountable to the goals of the program and check in with you week by week. So it kind of reminds you like, hey, have you watched the videos for week two yet? Yeah. And it grows your food as medicine commitment and goals. So I will say, although they both are $99, the keto archive program will be always at that price point. And the adrenal rehab is a a flash sale for the next couple of weeks. So if you're kind of hemming and hawing on both, I would jump with the adrenal 99 so you can take advantage of that. And then maybe do that 12-week keto program in a month or so. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Um, And I guess last, 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 but not least, um, we have a sponsor for this episode, and it is Santa Cruz Medicinals. Yes. And when I'm talking sleep, CBD is definitely a tool in my tool belt. So Santa Cruz Medicinals uses U.S grown hemp, which is really important when we're talking about sustainability, but also quality and toxicity. Uh, So their CBD is grown sustainably in Colorado. All of their products are tested third party for potency, ensuring that you are getting the milligrams stated, as well as safety and purity. So checking for toxicity, mold, or heavy metals. Uh, Their price point is really competitive when you're actually looking at the milligrams of CBD per dosage of either capsule or milliliter. And I think that that's a really important thing to call out. I, in my clinic with patients, I'm often asking if they're using CBD in their regimen. And when I'm recommending it, they'll go get their gummy or they'll go Mm -hmm. get their tincture. And it's like 11 milligrams in two droppers full. And I'm like, oh, well, how much are you doing? And they're they're like, oh, like a half a dropper. And I'm like, oh, well, that's like 3.5 milligrams. Yeah, (laughs) not going to make a dent. And research really shows that in order to get some efficacy 
safety and outcomes, we really want to start with an entry amount of like 50 milligrams. So I tend to start with 50 to 80 milligrams in a day. So I will split that up often with my clients and I myself have really fallen in love with, in addition to the naturally nourished sleep support, which has melatonin, and we'll talk about that later in today's episode, I've also been taking one of the CBD-infused deep sleep capsules personally. And I find that I get a really deep, restful, like check out, wake me up like I'm Cinderella and the birds are chirping <laughs> kind of sleep. Uh, it's uh, 50 milligrams of CBD per capsule, and that is combined with 200 milligrams of L-theanine and 150 milligrams of valerian root. So we're getting that nice alpha brainwave activity of the L-theanine, just like we incorporate into our calm and clear formula. Then you're getting that valerian root, which is a nice sedative. We'll, we'll nerd out a little bit further on that in today's episode. And then a pretty potent punch of CBD at 50 milligrams in that capsule. And then when I'm using their CBD in just their MCT oil suspension, um, I recently did a reel on that. Uh, so you can check out my Instagram feed on that. It was uh, three tips to start your day uh, to boost your mood and mind. And anytime I'm doing coffee, I always love to add CBD to that. And I always add about 30 milligrams to a cup of coffee. And that offsets that anxiolytic fight or flight epinephrine surge. It helps to mitigate that stress response. So I still get the caffeine boost for a nootropic or brain enhancer, but it aids with more gabernogenic or that inhibitory GABA clarity versus the excitatory anxious drive of an epinephrine. And so that also harnesses my adrenal glands so that they don't get burned out or overstimulated from the coffee. And then that could disrupt my sleep later through the day. Yeah. So for some of you, just mitigating your daily coffee with their CBD MCT infusion could be a fantastic tool. Um, and then for some of you that need that sleep support, that would be another thing to layer in. Yeah. And they do have um, varying potency of the deep sleep. So I think the 1500 milligram bottle is like the lowest one. And then they have a 3000 and maybe even a 5,000, but I would start with the 1500 for most people. That's pretty solid. Right. And I always just look at the per dropper, you know, breakdown. And so that's something you can always weigh out when you're looking at their uh, tinctures and such, just make sure you always check the back and you check, okay, for a third of a milliliter, this is 30 milligrams Mm -hmm. or whatnot. And again, about 30 to 50 milligram is a good recommended introduction dose at one time. So you can go on over to scmedicinals.com. That stands for Santa Cruz Medicinals, scmedicinals.com. Use the promo code AllieMillerRD at checkout, and that will save you 15% on your order as well as provide you free shipping. Again, that's scmedicinals.com. Use the code AllieMillerRD. All right. Now that we've covered all our intro stuff, let's get into (laughs) it. Um, So we covered sleep way back in episode 81, and this one was all about natural solutions for insomnia. Um, But it's been a minute since that episode, and, you know, I don't think people are getting any more sleep, unfortunately, <laughs> since <No>. then. <laughs> uh, yeah, that sounds like three and a half to four years uh-huh. ago. And I believe that things are just more and more stressful. Sure. Unfortunately, when we look at statistics, between 10 and 30% of adults struggle with chronic insomnia. And it's believed that 30 to 48% of older adults struggle, str- struggle or suffer also from insomnia. 
And women have a lifetime risk of insomnia that can be higher than men, upwards of 40% higher than men. And we'll talk about some of the connections of melatonin and estrogen metabolism, as well as melatonin decline with age. And this is why we see this as a trend as we age. Yeah, and there was a recent study um, through the National Sleep Foundation that showed nearly one third of adults reporting short sleep, so less than the recommended seven hours. And that's usually what we say, like seven hours minimum, seven to eight, seven to nine. (laughs) Nine, I don't know who you are. Maybe on a weekend when you don't have your kids or something. Um, But um, reporting that short sleep and um, also seeing that maybe there were some positive trends in terms of waking, feeling rested. So I think there has been like in recent years, more awareness, like more books coming out about it, more podcasts for CPAPs sure. Being CPAPs sold. being, mm-hmm. yeah. Sleep studies. Um, so a little bit more awareness, but I think we've got a ways to go. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's first dig in maybe just on some of the general benefits of sleep and kind of what our body's doing while we're sleeping. Yes. So when you're sleeping, your body is really the best at housekeeping and regenerating. And so we think of influence on depth and quality of sleep and the immune system, as well as growth and development and brain function. Uh, So with brain function, we get a lot of neurogenesis or our neurons are able to recuperate. We also kind of refill up our neurotransmitters, which get depleted during a stressful day. So better sleep in theory can trend. Definitely we see with better mood as well as mental cognition. We also know that during your sleep, you're very metabolically active. And so the deeper qualitative sleep can actually yield better weight loss or prevention of weight gain. And that can also be connected to regulating that cortisol metabolism because we know that cortisol jags or cortisol elevation can drive belly fat, especially that visceral fat, which is closest to the organs. And that could also lend to this sleep quality and heart health. So we can see the influence of actual mechanistic plaque cleaning, autophagy, you know, some of this cellular cleanup of breaking down the dysfunctional components of cells while we're fasted and rested, but then also that an oxidative stress. We know that when we're sleeping and have good, deep quality of sleep, especially paired with optimal melatonin status, which we'd usually assume you have if you're sleeping deep and qualitative, that that melatonin as an antioxidant can also reduce lipid oxidation and promote um, against or defend against atherosclerotic plaque formation in the body. So we can see heart health. Uh, we can see blood pressure as a big connection with blood pressure irregularities with low quality sleep or good quality balanced blood pressure and heart rate regulation with good sleep. And then we can even see on the influence of like day-to-day function beyond chronic health, we can see impact on just your productivity. I already mentioned mood and cognition, but we can also see like dangers of having low quality sleep of like um, motor vehicle accidents, right? Or like dozing off. Um, We can see influence on our memory, of course, on a a short as well as long-term chronic effect. Sure. And even exercise performance shows, you know, substantial benefits of having adequate sleep. Yes. I mean, we think of one of the best ways, it's kind of one of those less is more, right? When we're cramming for an exam Mm -hmm. or when we have a big um, athletic performance, you might want to fit in that extra exercise or you want to fit in that extra hour of of cramming things in and really 
deep restful sleep could be one of the best things to really prime your machine of the body and brain. Totally. Um, and this is a big area that we explore, like when we're working one-on-one in clinic, do you want to just go through like the questions you ask someone about sleep? Cause I feel like we ask maybe six to even 10 in someone who's having trouble sleeping. Yeah. So a lot of people, again, just like with stress <laughs> tend to just kind of roll it off like, Oh, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but we often ask, you know, how is there any difficulty falling or staying asleep and so then someone might say oh well i have no problem falling asleep but actually now that you mention it around 1 a.m or 3 a.m i find myself waking and then i'll often ask if they do have disrupted sleep is that based on an external stimulus like a baby waking them up or they have an old dog that has urinary incontinence and is scratching around the floor and they have to let them out at 3 a.m. or their husband snoring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so is there an external stimulus or is this internal? Because then I start to think about more of these cortisol cascades sure. yep. or more hormonal influencing yep. factors than something external. Um, and then I'll also ask if it's tied to nocturnal urination. Like, so, well, are you then going to the restroom? And then how quickly are you able to fall back asleep? Because that's a whole consideration. If it's really waking, taking a middle of the night urination, going back to sleep, falling into a deep restful sleep, then we just need to recalibrate your evening supplement regimen and drinking. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe then we just yeah. need to reduce your fluid intake and you won't have that issue altogether. Uh, but if it's more neurochemical is, is where I'm more concerned as a practitioner to try to really harness and understand the stimulus. And and even if it is external waking, what variables can we change? So Mm -hmm. are we looking at um, moving your phone away and putting it in airplane mode because it's possibly the EMF that's coming from that device or it's vibrating uh, and you're getting stimulus of emails internationally from work demands uh, or maybe you don't have blackout curtains and there's a bus that comes by your street at you know, the middle of the night or whatnot. Um, so there's ways that then we can start to look at the environment and really as a functional practitioner though, we're always trying to see the why and the what of the patterns. Sure. Any other sleep questions you're thinking um, of Becky? We ask a lot about like rumination and anxiety, oh, yeah. especially that leading to like not being able to get to sleep. Are there things on your mind? Like you feel like you need to be like writing in your planner for the next day. Um, or is it 3am you wake with worry? I think would be a big one too. Absolutely. And then also within habits and external, we talk a lot about the blue light exposure Mm -hmm. and and, uh, I guess sleep hygiene, if you will, or what our ritual is to get into deep restful sleep. And I think with the rumination world, that's where we're always talking about putting a GABACOM chew on the nightstand uh, because that's a really fantastic way to kind of vent that steam train buildup of that anticipatory anxiety of the following day or thinking about a conversation from the past day. And then also we're looking at if there's neuromuscular tension or cramps or Charlie horses or physiological tension, mm-hmm. especially like that, like lion pacing in a cage. Uh, that's where we're, yep. we're really looking at absolutely the relax and regulate uh, because the magnesium bisglycinate actually crosses that blood brain barrier and it can actually block the pituitary when we're thinking of that HPA axis. It can block that pituitary from putting out that ACTH or that direct stimulus to turn on the adrenal glands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a huge part. So you're getting both that neuro uh, physiological release of the magnesium. Um, so you're releasing that tension, but then you're also blocking the stimulus, which I think is a big two part. 
Yep. Or even for like restless legs, magnesium is always a, a big one there too. Yes. Yep. Um, so let's cover maybe some of the drawbacks of not getting enough sleep. And then obviously the counterpart is that there's likely a benefit. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So um, when we're talking about adults that are sleeping less than seven hours a night as their chronic or regular, you know, routine, if you will, we can see anything from depression or um, dementia. So I said, you know, brain has a huge component here. And then we can even see inflammatory issues in the body. So we see a huge trend in research with arthritis. And a lot of that can be, again, because that sleep can help with that cellular cleanup, that autophagy, which is that process of removing dysfunctional or um, broken down components of cells and allowing more regeneration. And then we can see a big impact on diabetes and asthma as well in chronic conditions. So we can see accelerated aging process through oxidative stress, which then can drive increased risk of diabetes as far as insulin sensitivity signaling can get thrown off. Uh, We can see increased risk of cancer with that accelerating oxidative stress and also the lack of the inventory or the housekeeping of that autophagy being kind of delayed or turned off or not optimized as much. We can see decreased immune function because the immune system works as that similar surveillance system mechanism as the cancer risk. So if the immune system is distracted and not able to go into that deep uh, assessment, if you will, of the body, I really think of it as like an airport scanning Mm -hmm. system, you know? that the immune system is also overlooking, it's overlooking dysplasia, so malformed cells, which could be tumorigenic, but it's also overlooking pathogens. So this could be virus, this could be bacteria related as far as dysbiosis. SIBO can be exacerbated when we don't have quality sleep, for instance, when we're talking about gut infections and such. We can see obesity and weight issues, as I mentioned, and one of the mechanisms is that ghrelin levels, which is that hunger hormone. We've actually seen this increase with less than seven hours of sleep and leptin, that satiety hormone, decreasing without adequate sleep. So you got that kind of duality impact from that suppressed satiety regulation, if you will. And then we mentioned uh, poor physical performance, uh, just brain fog, slow mental acuity, burnout, and over time, chronically, that can drive dementia and Alzheimer's risk. And Alzheimer's is kind of a two for one because you also get that same plaque mechanism of driving cardiovascular risk and diabetes, also that tau protein impact and that influence on beta amyloid plaque in the brain. So that oxidative stress can create just dysfunction in various systems of the body. Yeah. And that population of the elderly who's most at risk, also we see the highest amount of sleep disturbance with them and the lowest production of melatonin, which we'll get to here. Yeah. And so overall, like we said in the opening of this episode, increased risk for all cause mortality, which is death. So sleep is absolutely essential. It is a free tool, but we need to find ways to harness and manifest it so that we can get sleep to work for us versus having insomnia work to destroy us. Yeah. And it's pretty wild. Like in some of the studies that we looked over for this episode, it only takes like one night or a half a night of sleep to have some form of impact. Like one study that looked at blood pressure increase, half a night of sleep loss was reported to increase blood pressure in people who already had hypertension or pre-hypertension. So it could be what converts you from pre-hypertensive status into diagnostic hypertension, which is very concerning. And that was one 
night. <laughs> right. And, and most people who aren't sleeping well, it's not just one night. It's that chronic, like constant ongoing. Right. Uh, there was another study that looked at uh, sleep deprivation of healthy participants and they saw increases in inflammatory markers. And so we were looking at markers that are associated with cardiovascular de- disease in that case. Uh, we've seen in memory le- recollection studies, impaired memory function. And we know again that that REM cycle does aid in memory formation. And a lot of that is due to that brain-derived neurotrophic factor and also, or BDNF, and also that's uh, regulated by that neurogenesis or that basically reformation or growing of our neurological system in our brain. Yeah, and then there's some pretty cool recent research on the level of the cell or the mitochondria in terms of what happens at a cellular level when we're deprived of sleep. Yes. So when we think of chronic fatigue syndrome, we think about oxidative stress in the body. So when we're looking at markers within the mitochondria, which are the energy factories of every cell of our body, actually influencing our ATP production or our energy production, when we see oxidative stress in light of lack of quality sleep or high stress response, the mitochondria gets hindered and that's going to impact that chronic fatigue syndrome, all overall energy production. And again, we see more circulating reactive oxygen species. So there is this impact of toxicity really exacerbating the impact of sleep. Uh, as well as a low antioxidant diet, um, and especially hindered if dealing with low master antioxidant of melatonin. Sure, absolutely. And and I think that's a really important point to hit home for today's episode, that melatonin is an antioxidant. Yes. (laughs) And I think what many people don't acknowledge about this antioxidant role is that there actually is a circadian clock that coordinates the balance of our antioxidant expression defending against oxidative stress or oxidative damage in the body. So it's not just this one plus two equals three equation as always, there's this influence that circadian rhythm can actually exacerbate oxidative stress or support antioxidant capacity and healing process if you follow the circadian rhythm of the body and you are getting that deep restful sleep. There was actually a study where they induced stress as survival training, a 36-hour survival training in young healthy men, and so that provoked sleep deprivation. And during that window, these otherwise healthy men showed impaired enzymatic antioxidant defense. They had increased lipid peroxidation, so tying again to that cardiovascular health risk and they had atrophy or muscle damage just through that 36-hour stress response paired with sleep deprivation. It's pretty wild. And just thinking about that, if you've got like everything else dialed in, you know, your exercise, your food, la, 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 and your sleep's not there, you might not be seeing the benefits of all of that at all in your body. Yes. So as always, you can bubble wrap, right? right? So we can try to mitigate these stressors. But the line is just going to get kind of whittled down and and frayed at some point if you don't address that root cause, which in the sense is getting that deep qualitative restful sleep. Yes. Um, So yeah, we'll talk more about like circadian reset and some of the lifestyle components, things to bring in in a bit. Um, 
I wanted to talk a little bit about just kind of recent updates, especially with 2020 and pandemic. We've talked about the rise of anxiety, depression, you know, even suicidal ideation, all of that. Um, But I imagine that insomnia goes right along with that and has seen an uptick as well. Most definitely. And I think that a lot of this ties to the increased screen time and the increased screen time as a stressor. You know what I mean? When you think about there was that fallout or that like, um, oh, what is it called? When whistleblower, there's that whistleblower that shared that CNN producer talking about the death toll ticking Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. on the side of the screen and how, you know, like how terrible it was that some of the producers were like cheering on the numbers because it's that like addiction to seeing numbers go up, like a gambling type of experience. But we were talking about bodies. We were talking about dead people or we were talking about cases, which created a lot of fear, anxiety drive. And so this constant refreshing or looking Mm -hmm. at the blue light a, we saw screen time up upwards of 13 hours a day with many people working from home in an isolated environment, not having those collaboration in-person meetings anymore. Um, and we saw the um, population from their standard, you know, eight to 10 hours again, going up to 13 hours a day, which is a 60% increase in media use in 2020. And there was the term coronasomnia, which is COVID-related insomnia that was actually coined by some psychotherapists and physicians. And we've seen prescriptions for sleep medications increase 15% alone just from mid-February to mid-March in 2020. Um, And that's according to Express Scripts, which is a major pharmacy benefit manager. And then we've also seen, um, per the UCLA Sleep Disorders Center, the number of patients complaining of insomnia rising between 20 and 30% in the past year, and a lot more of those cases being children. And I think this is likely with the kiddos due to A, increase of screen time, right? Their school going from fully in person to like full virtual, probably a lot less time to like get their energy out throughout the day, a lot less physical activity, and then just the general disruption of their routine as well. Yes. And so when we're talking about that blue light, um, is this the time to nerd out about it or are we going to get there? We can talk about it now. I think that's a great time. Because I think it's really important to to hit on. You know, we talked about screen time. It had gone up upwards of 60% and then now children having less in-person And I think that also they're using different parts of their brains, right? So I talk a lot about in the anti-anxiety diet that dopamine depletion or dopamine burnout, we actually get higher dopamine from that blue light, but it creates an addictive tendency where it's a bliss reward seeker, right? So you don't get that dopamine high from a stimulus that maintains that way. And that in turn can drive depression. Uh, It can also drive a fight or flight stress response. And we're not activating some of the more alpha brainwave activity that we would in creative play, in coloring or drawing on a non-screen, in imagination, right? And, And some of those other processes in the brain are much more regenerative and much more neurotransmitter forming or refilling versus depleting. The blue light really can burn out that dopamine response. And also that light interferes with the pineal gland of the brain, which is where we manufacture that melatonin. And so when we get that bright blue light and we're not following the day pattern outside as it gets dark outside, if we're maintaining that bright blue light on the TV or on our iPads or our phones and such, 
that can interfere with melatonin production. So you're both getting the dopamine neurotransmitter burnout, and then you're getting that productivity of melatonin hindered. Right. So you're essentially like tricking your body into thinking it's 4 p.m. when it's really 10 p.m. or something like that. You're not getting that cascade of melatonin. Absolutely. So, you know, the the bare minimum is to adjust your screen time by using like those red filters or Mm -hmm. a lot of devices have the ability based on following your time zone to adjust the amount of blue light and go into more of a red light. Uh, You know, you can switch your iPhone to like a black settings versus white. Mine does that at, I think, 4 p.m. every day. Oh, your screen is so dark. And my screen's like like red. It's a, yeah, what is it called? A, a photo room what's that word called dark room yes i was gonna say it looks like a dark room i was gonna call it a red room but yeah yeah, it's literally red colored i don't have any blue coloring in my screen at all um i went into all of the settings and manually adjusted all of that and uh for my stella we're really tight on screen time as i've talked before in past episodes so she still has her leapfrog learner battery powered (laughs) non-emf what she calls a tablet but it is not a tablet um and that has like alphabet games and certain things but she does her workbook old-fashioned with a pencil you know and then we do allow the iPad especially now in the summer when Brady and I are both working full-time but we do limit her screen time to an hour and a half total is the goal and that includes like shows on TV plus some iPad games plus her like leap reader and things like that so a lot less than potentially 13 plus hours (laughs) I was shocked to hear that I'm like that's more than half your day oh my goodness yeah but I think it's all too true all too real Mm -hmm. yeah Um, And I think just in this world of kind of loss of routine, increased screen time, a lot of people are now returning to work or kids are going back to school in person and and I think having a hard time with the reset. So we'll maybe give some tangibles for that in a bit. Um, But I also think it's just worth talking about the COVID and melatonin connection because this is huge and this is something we apparently posted about back in April of 2020. So go us. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I remember that post. And actually that's when I started taking sleep support from our Naturally Nourished line uh, because of the protective mechanisms of melatonin. So there was a Cleveland Clinic study uh, where they looked at melatonin helping to prevent COVID-19 or aiding in the treatment of COVID-19 based on its both antioxidant and anti-inflammatory effects. And they found that melatonin reduced the likelihood of participants getting COVID by 28%, which is quite remarkable. Uh, And some of the mechanisms were that it's able to actually modulate immune activity. Remember when we talk about the mechanisms of COVID, we tie it a lot to these cytokine storms or these inflammatory cascades. So that anti-inflammatory mechanism helps to modulate the immune system's attack to not go into overdrive and not cause some of the undesired symptoms or effects of infection. Um, And then we also see that melatonin is actually able to, so in some sense, it's kind of like harnessing or restraining Mm -hmm. the immune activity. So it's allowing the battle. um, It's helping the body as an antioxidant to protect healthy cells and fight oxidative stress, but also harness that immune response so it doesn't go over kilter. Because where we're seeing the more severe effects are in individuals, again, with poor metabolic health that have higher circulating inflammatory compounds. So when their immune system goes into attack mode that can create devastating health impacts yeah yeah that makes sense and then you know when we look at melatonin as a sleep regulator we know that sleep quality again ties into immunological function Um, and so we can see this as its own protective mechanism so there's the idea that again 
the melatonin can support the cytokine storm or reduce that cytokine excessive activity. We see that melatonin can actually uh, reduce the production of excessive pro-inflammatory cytokines and that it's antioxidant which neutralizes these free radicals, reduces oxidative stress and damage to vital organs. Sure. And I saw protocols, you know, back for like acute treatment treatment of, of COVID between like five and even 20 milligrams of melatonin, mm-hmm. which is way more than we would normally recommend. But it makes sense if it can tamp down that cytokine storm. And honestly, you might just want to knock yourself out for a couple of days if you have COVID to really get that deep immune response and like wake up feeling a little bit better. Right. Because again, when the melatonin supports you in the deep restful sleep, your immune system is optimized. So you actually get a better white blood cell response. You're going to get, again, better autophagy or cellular cleanup. You're going to get that better surveillance system of the body. And it's important for people to understand, again, that the cytokine storm or the reaction of the pro-inflammatory response to the pathogen is necessary to battle. But again, those that sit at higher inflammation. So if you already know you have an elevated CRP or you have diabetes or you have hypertension or you have um, mismanaged oxidized lipids, uh, then you're going to actually have a dangerous amount of inflammation. And that dangerous amount of inflammation from that cytokine storm can actually exacerbate the viral infection because it damages cells through the process. Sure. And what's more is melatonin actually has um, specific action on this inflammasome called NLRP. Three. So yes. this is one of those primary inflammatory chemicals that's involved in that exaggerated response. Yeah, so it's not the NF-kappa B pathway, but this inflammasome pathway. And it's been really highlighted in clinical research. In fact, we have an episode coming out where we're talking about NLRP3 and vitamin C research. So this is where I think a lot of biochemists are kind of nerding out, especially in the world of pandemic, uh, because it's it's the said influencing pathway on that inflammatory response. Sure, so not only can it suppress the pro-inflammatory cytokines, but there's also lower infiltration of immune cells into the lungs and reduced tissue injury of the lungs. Yes, um, and with then, melatonin. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then actually adding on vitamin C along with that, there've also been, like you said, some studies that there are synergistic effects. Absolutely. And so that both of those, of course, when pandemic kind of came about and we were like, okay, well, this is a little different than the seasonal flu. Uh, and here's now we're learning more about the ACE2 and uh, the ACE2 receptor influence. And we're learning about the mechanism of action. Uh, that's where right away I brought in that sleep support also because I was under higher stress mm-hmm. and then the, the bio C plus, uh, like little best friends to, to support the respiratory infection possibility and reduce that oxidative stress. Yeah. I remember when I had my like two to three day COVID, we talked on the phone and you were like, Oh, take sleep support. And mm-hmm. I, I'm like, Oh, I forgot about it. Cause I didn't take it while pregnant. And it was lovely and definitely beneficial and and for sure helped i think i took like two each night just to like knock out yes um so super compelling stuff in the area of covid and pandemic and just general mitigation of uh, inflammatory chemicals in the body and and reining that in um let's dive in maybe on some of the other benefits of melatonin and perhaps just do a quick 
overview of this hormone in the body before we get like too deep down? Sure. So it is a hormone and it also has antioxidant function, as we've mentioned. So melatonin is secreted by the pineal gland in the brain. It um, is synthesized and released based on stimulation of darkness and it is suppressed by light. So again, that blue light is going to directly interfere with production of melatonin and melatonin is responsible for maintaining your body's circadian rhythm or personal clock. So you can use dark and light to your advantage by having blackout shades, sleeping with an eye mask, also again, getting off the the blue light or adjusting at least the intensity of your blue light of your screens a couple hours prior to bed. And equally important to actually get out and look, not look at the sun, but get daylight in your eyes. Sun gazing. There's a lot of research (laughs) that supports actually getting that stimulus to get your body on a circadian rhythm and that personal clock of just walking outside for 15 minutes. Ideally, if you can do it barefoot, so you're grounding as well to reset your own body's electric energy field, uh, you're going to get a really good two for one of telling the brain, you know, okay, we're, this is daytime. And then that can kind of set the tone for your clock, if you will. For me personally, like having a garden um, this spring and summer has gotten me outside a little bit earlier than I might have normally. Because sometimes we'll just roll into a clinic day, like yes. straight into the office, and maybe you're getting passive sun through the window, but it's not really the same. Right? No, not at all. Yeah. Uh, right. So I mean, the pineal gland typically starts producing melatonin around 9 p.m., and your melatonin levels then increase sharply, and this is where you should start to feel more sleepy again if you're not stimulating with mm-hmm. the bright blue light. Uh, And so if your body is functioning as it should, your melatonin levels should maintain elevated while you sleep, and it should be about a 12-hour window. So again, if you're getting up really early, then you might want to set with that bright light exposure to get the melatonin production starting earlier than the 9 Mm p.m. in your body, you know? So about 12 hours it maintains, and then melatonin levels are going to drop around that 12-hour mark, so from maybe 9 p.m. to 9 a.m., and then that level is, is pretty barely detectable during the day hours. It's also important to note the connection of melatonin to neurotransmitters as well as our sexual hormones. So when we're looking at melatonin, the precursor or building block to melatonin is actually serotonin. So serotonin is probably the most popular neurotransmitter that we think of as a natural antidepressant or mood stabilizer. It is derived from the amino acid tryptophan. So from tryptophan to 5-hydroxytryptophan to serotonin, and then there's a production pathway within the pineal gland where that serotonin is processed to yield melatonin. So with that being said, uh, we do want to take into account having ample serotonin levels, knowing that serotonin as a neurotransmitter can be limited if we have low folate levels, if we we have low tryptophan levels, which could be also low protein intake, Mm -hmm. just not getting enough amino acids. Uh, And if we are under chronic stress or we're dealing with depression or anxiety, likely we're burning through that landing gear of serotonin higher. So if we are dealing with chronic stress and mood issues, this may be a consideration to look at like the Neurohormone Complete Plus panel, which actually assesses your neurotransmitter levels. We'll put a link in the notes um, because if this is something that you're really looking on the mood and sleep disturbances and you know you have some adrenal dysfunction, 
this is probably the time to invest in that and, and learn a little bit of a deeper dive on that synthesis if you're uh, lacking that limiting agent. Because yes. I think of serotonin, again, protein. I think of regulating the stress response. Um, I think of getting ample B vitamins. There's a lot of cofactors involved. Uh, folate is a big one. Also B6 is a big one for serotonin production. And then I'm also thinking at probiotic status. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Uh, Looking because, at your gut. Yeah, if you don't have that lacto and bifido bacteria, then you're producing about 80 to 90% of your serotonin in that enteric nervous system of the gut. So ensuring that the gut is rock and roll is going to make sure that also your melatonin status is going mm -hmm. to be supported. Okay. Awesome. So I'll link the um, Laverick's Neurohormone panel as an option that comes with an email review. So it'll give you kind of the one-two punch of what to actually do about those numbers. Yes. Um, and then let's talk about uh, melatonin in relation to hormones and especially to reproductive health. Yes. So we have in the past talked about melatonin in relationship to preventing breast cancer. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of compelling literature there. When we look at chronically low or suppressed melatonin levels with higher risk factor of breast cancer, because melatonin can play a role with estrogen metabolism. And also that's connected again to that immunological response of melatonin and the anti-inflammatory antioxidant component of melatonin. So with cancer risk, there's always going to be a higher oxidative stress component. Uh, but we haven't talked about female reproductive health. And I've seen a lot of now IVF clinics uh, with patients that I'm working with for infertility, where they're starting to use three to five milligrams of melatonin as a proactive dosage to support egg health. In fact, uh, researchers have found that our oocyte or our egg quality can double um, the chances of becoming pregnant if given melatonin at a three to five milligram dosage. So that's pretty significant results there. And again, it's crucial to reproductive health because it also plays a role in controlling the timing, this whole circadian on a day-to-day -day cycle, but also our follicular and luteal cycles. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about the women's reproductive hormone timeline, if you will, or our actual frequency and length of menstrual cycles, melatonin plays a role in helping the woman's body decide when to menstruate. It can help with extending the luteal phase. So when women have a short luteal phase, maybe they're ovulating, but they don't have a long enough period for healthy implantation. This is where we could really see some powerful impact of melatonin. So I would take a leap to say women in their 30s that are looking for future reproductive health, maybe sure. even before they're encountering infertility, might want to supplement with our sleep support a little bit more provigilantly or maybe every other day or maybe three to four days a week or nightly, depending um, on their sleep disturbance or sleep need, uh, because that could have a really powerful way in supporting egg health and also regulating your menstrual cycle. Yeah. Yep. And again, back to that antioxidant, preserving those healthy eggs and improving quality. And I imagine we don't have the research here, but I imagine it would have similar impact on sperm health as well. And I know there's good, compelling research on prostate cancer also. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, so... We also, just kind of last thing to call it on melatonin, things that can interfere with it and then trends. So as we mentioned, as you age, uh, we do see a depletion of melatonin and melatonin doesn't actually peak with puberty, it peaks in youth. So young children have the highest levels of nighttime melatonin 
and um, it just is going to decline as we age. It declines more rapidly with chronic stress or toxin exposure, again, because that Mm -hmm. demand of melatonin. And so we see individuals that abuse alcohol or tobacco um, will have lower melatonin levels, as well as individuals that work night shift, unfortunately, because of that circadian override. Um, Those that have poor vision and have eye strain or are chronically exposed to bright light or blue light are gonna have lower melatonin. And then also those that rely excessively on caffeine because that caffeine drives that epinephrine adrenaline, which is connected to that dopamine part of the adrenals. And then that can create interference with the melatonin signaling. Yeah, and especially the night shift workers, that's a really good point and a question I get quite often actually. Like, is it okay in that population to use melatonin during the day if they have to sleep during the day what do you recommend there yeah yeah (laughs) yes so um you know with night shift workers we're looking at ensuring that we're able to find a circadian rhythm it's not the ideal circadian rhythm but you have to kind of mimic and override Mm -hmm. and then you would want to provide your body yes that melatonin i would also go heavier on adaptogen so like adaptogen boost for that person during their work shifts um, to provide them that stress resilience and additional antioxidant support and that's an individual where i'd say that bio c plus is really essential as well and i would do that during the waking hours and then the sleep support Um, I would do that before you're driving home after your long overnight shift, but once you arrive home, uh, and and that's where CBD could also be employed both day and night to help to just kind of modulate that HPA axis and stress response. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, if they're, if their schedule flip flops, then like using it to try and get back to the nighttime rhythm, I think in that population, especially I'd probably go with daily, daily use. Oh, absolutely. No issue. Mm -hmm. Um, All right, so I think we've kind of hit most of the reasons that melatonin is beneficial for sleep, but anything else to call out there in terms of specific sleep-related benefits? Yeah, well, I think it's worth calling out. So our sleep support formula, which we will nerd out on in a moment, um, does have some sedative properties within the melatonin as well because it's a synergistic formula, but melatonin itself as a hormone is non-sedative. So it works to promote sleep by helping the body regulate circadian clock and those sleep and wake cycles. So that's why kind of, again, with the shift worker, you're kind of overdriving by giving that melatonin when you're trying to get into that sleep time, even though it's daytime outside, right? So it can help to strengthen and improve our sleep and wake cycles, but it of itself is non-sedative. We can use it to support and establish sleep patterns um, and it can also be used on a regular basis especially for those that have melatonin depletion or insufficient properties because of that multi-faceted approach for whole body health i think having optimal melatonin levels is much more important um, than you know being conservative and and worrying about melatonin on a, a daily basis sure sure Um, And even, you know, within jet lag, restless leg, um, sleep problems in children with autism and ADHD and other developmental disorders, there's also been a lot of research in that area with melatonin. Yes. And melatonin is one that I definitely would give to children if dealing with 
viral, uh, so whether cold, flu, COVID, you name it, again, that could be something that would be really helpful. Like you mentioned, just for a comfort supporter to get into that deep qualitative sleep, also as a supporter for respiratory function and lung health, as we discussed, and then that overall immune function as well as regulating the inflammatory response. Yeah, and when you're feeling crappy, you kind of want to be knocked out for a little bit longer. Yes, and it can help even on a level of mood, like I mentioned. So because of that serotonin connection, when you give some melatonin, then you're not pulling as much from Mm -hmm. that serotonin demand. So melatonin can reduce emotional reactivity. Um, And then there's all the other mechanisms that I think we've we've hit pretty heavy. Okay. So really a myriad of benefits of melatonin supplementation. And if you're not already convinced, uh, (laughs) let's let's talk about um, melatonin supplementation just in general in terms of amount, um, best timing to take it. I think that's an important one to hit on. And let's get nerdy on our sleep support. Yes. So best timing would be ideally an hour prior to trying to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, a dosage can be as effective starting at like one and a half milligrams, upwards of five milligrams. I like to say with melatonin, the lower that provides efficacy, the better. So that's why we did develop sleep support which is a relaxation formula that features melatonin at 1.5 milligrams per tablet, along with five key herbs and minerals that support in a synergy, restful, relaxed state, and can support healthy sleep patterns. So the dosage on the label is actually two tablets. I myself take one tablet nightly and I take one day off a week just for habit. Um, And that's usually Saturday night. I never Mm -hmm. have problems falling asleep on Saturday or Friday, depending on my load. Uh, (laughs) But always Sunday, even though I don't really get the Monday scaries too bad, I always take a Sunday night through Thursday is my definite standard. And um, when we're looking at what we put together in this formula, uh, we put in, of course, melatonin for all of the reasons that we just mentioned. And then on an herbal level, there's extracts of passionflower, hops, and valerian, and skullcap. So Chinese skullcap also we highlighted during COVID. Uh, that was in episode 180, that part two on coronavirus, when we talked about the connection of SARS and traditional Chinese herbs or Chinese medicine. And we also talked about those ACE2 uh, inhibited pathways. Um, So Chinese skullcap has been used for decades for respiratory infections, um, but also can promote relaxation and calm demeanor and is a little bit sedative. Passionflower and valerian are going to be more in that sedative world. Valerian has multiple mechanisms on both neurotransmitters and hormones. So valerian can actually aid in cortisol metabolism. So again, if that's an individual that's like waking in the middle of the night, um, that tends to be more of a cortisol peak. Um, We know valerian has been shown in research also to support GABA, which is that neuroinhibitory compound that helps with calming, relaxation, taking that steam train of rumination or fight or flight uh, anxiety response off. And then we also know that valerian can also support serotonin levels, which is key because that then feeds the tank to support the melatonin production. 
so we've seen in, in many studies, valerian has been shown to maintain natural levels of serotonin as well as regulate that GABA and cortisol response. So that's a really powerful player. Um, and that's why when I do one of the sleep support capsules from Santa Cruz, there's some valerian in that. And then there's the valerian also in the naturally nourished sleep support formula, uh, along with that 1.5 milligrams of melatonin and the other complementary herbs I mentioned. It's like a perfect little blend, it sounds like. Yes. And for some people, I will say with that being said, I think you're one of them. Yeah. Uh, for some people, this blend, because of the sedative herbs, valerian in some individuals can really impact them um, and make them feel a little bit foggy, groggy. And we yeah. have valerian also in our calm and clear. Um, it is a, a lower concentration than it is in the sleep support. Uh, but I am someone that does really beautifully with valerian. I, I feel like it's a great mood stabilizer for me. Um, whereas some individuals then would do better with not combining probably. They might want to do just regular CBD with one of our sleep supports. Right. Uh, so they're not getting that double dose of, of valerian. Yeah. Just to call that out. Yep. And since becoming a mom, my tolerance for sleep support has changed. I think just because I'm sleeping a little lighter in general and it's not as much of a knockout but you can I would know you can break the sleep support capsules in half really tablets, easily yeah. Ta- yeah thank you mm-hmm. um the tablets so there's just like a little line down the middle you can kind of snap it in half super easily so you can find your appropriate dosage anywhere between you know half a tablet and you could take one and a half or, or two depending on how much you need Yes. And then on the world of like how much, how frequent do we need to cycle off of melatonin? Uh, I I don't believe that long-term studies that are out there demonstrate that as an issue or concern. Um, And so there are a couple like two-year plus studies out, uh, one that we'll link here on sleep, growth, and puberty after two years of prolonged release melatonin in children with autism spectrum disorder. Now it is worth noting when we're talking about melatonin use with children, there's a different influencing factor than with adults because we are concerned about the potential impact on puberty uh, so the status of their hormone development Uh, and in this study there was no evidence of delay in body mass index or in pubertal development within two years of use and the dosage ranged um, from one to six milligrams over that two-year period of time. Um, so I think that that's a pretty substantial and, and more of the delicate population, mm-hmm. if you will, um, especially knowing that as we age, we need more. And that dosage of that probably um, milligrams per kilogram body weight would have been heavier or more yeah. significant oh, yeah. than compared to an adult dosage on a daily basis. And we're not looking for hormonal uh, development. Often we're looking at support with that estrogen metabolism in both men and women, yep. just because we're in an estrogenation of, you know, getting the plastic exposure and a lot of the uh, toxins that have estrogenic properties that a little bit of support in that metabolic pathway, I think would be an additional benefit. Yeah. And like you said, like taking maybe that one day off a week just for the habit or, you know, a day when you don't have as much trouble going to sleep or there's not as much of an obligation to like wake up in the morning. But generally speaking for my adult clients, I don't have a problem with them taking every night because the cost benefit of, you know, getting all of the antioxidant function of the melatonin and, you know, avoiding all of the detriments of lack of sleep. Yes. yes. Um, I think that far outweighs, you know, any potential concern with long-term use. 
Yes. So let's just hit supplement deep dive before we go into food as medicine. So we talked a lot about sleep support and that's obviously our go-to naturally nourished formula for melatonin and enhancing quality depth sleep. Um, I did mention also relax and regulate. So that would be one that would be a definite go-to. Now relax and regulate, you could use during the day and in the evening. That has that double impact of the magnesium bisglycinate, like I mentioned, which crosses that blood-brain barrier and helps to reduce cortisol stimulus. But it also has myo-inositol, and so that's what makes it a powerhouse for insulin signaling, really cellular communication throughout the body in general, supporting as an anxiolytic or an anxiety reducer, as well as additional support for ovarian health. Um, So for that whole world of fertility and hormone management, women and men, we see the benefit for the relax and regulate. So if you're dealing with sleep issues, I would say you'd want to be averaging about two scoops and you might do like a half scoop mid morning or at rise and then one and a half scoops at bed or something like that. Or a lot of times I'll have people do like a full scoop around bath time for their kids. Mm -hmm. uh, Because again, it's not sedative, but it does help with that neuromuscular release. It helps to kind of prime the body to start to get in a restful mode. And that's often that last like surge from the adrenals of like, get the day done yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) the dishwashing slash bath time so i think getting a scoop in at that time could be considered as well and then throughout the day of course a foundational player would be calm and clear which is my like desert island supplement that has the b complex in there and then also you're getting that l-theanine which aids in that alpha brainwave activity there's phosphatidylserine in there which is going to aid also in cortisol metabolism uh you're going to get oh i didn't mention in the sleep support there is that blend of the minerals of magnesium mm-hmm. and calcium in the perfect combination to support with like muscle contraction and so you are getting a little bit of, yep. of that there yep. in the sleep support yeah just a small amount yeah yep. um so the calm and clear has a blend also of herbs so you're getting a combination of of ashwagandha as an adaptogen plus some of the sedative herbs like the lemon balm which is also antiviral and um, the German chamomile and uh, valerian in there and so we're getting that calming stress resilience formula and then we also already mentioned GABA calm to keep on the nightstand for that rumination or maybe that 9 p.m. instead of a glass of wine which would interrupt your sleep you have a GABA calm and sure. that helps to kind of take that steam train off the tracks And then um, we mentioned the B-complex on its own to support neurotransmitter production and serotonin. And then targeted strength probiotic would be my go-to because the lacto and bifido are the strains we're really highlighting for the mood, brain, and gut connection. And um, so when we're looking at the heavy hitter there, the targeted strength probiotic gives us 60 billion colony-forming units of the lacto and bifido blend and just to note the b complex we'd take that like in the morning not necessarily yes at night although the common clear despite the bees in it i have found since wearing my nutrisense and i noticed some like abnormalities in my cortisol overnight i started taking just one common clear at night and i've noticed pretty significant change in like my depth and quality of sleep and waking rested in the morning for like the first time in a really long time. Yeah, yeah. But that's one that I have varying degrees of of, um, efficacy with clients. I I have them test between like one and three either at bed or um, at dinner time maybe if if they do find the bees are a little bit stimulating. Totally. And it's one that definitely doesn't interfere with me either. (laughs) Nope. All right. Um, let's just round things out. Maybe a little bit of food as medicine. I know um, tart cherry juice is probably the biggest recommendation and, and the one food that I've actually seen 
research on in the Department of Melatonin and Sleep Quality. Yeah, uh, and I love to promote doing tart cherry juice as a gelatin. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. This is really fantastic because you're going to get that glycine from the gelatin. So like maybe using like Further Foods gelatin powder, and that's that pasture-raised gelatin, which is going to give you the proline and glycine. So these are amino acids that glycine is going to support that conversion of GABA, that relaxing as well as, you know, gut nourishing and body fat burn. Um, and it's tasty and it's just an easy thing to do like once a week and do like two thirds cup of, of tart cherry jello as an evening snack. So the cherry juice, yes, does support melatonin production. And then pairing that with glycine, I think is a, a double hit. Yeah. I did that a ton. Well, you were making me gelatin and then uh-huh. I started, um, postpartum doing like tart cherry. I got to bring that back. It's so good. We should do some gummies. I'm going to challenge you. Okay. We should do a, a tart sleep cherry gummy, gummy sleep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if we can work CBD in there somehow. Maybe we can get it up before the episode, but stay tuned. It'll come soon. (laughs) Okay. Then I also look at omega-3 fatty acids just to really harness inflammation in the body and of course support the brain. So uh, on a supplement level, that would be our EPA DHA extra, but getting wild caught fish two to three times a week would be a really great way to do that. And um, then we look at antioxidants from our citrus as a good source because remember the vitamin C melatonin connection is very essential. So zest from our limes and lemons, uh, grapefruit, uh, getting in also seasonal fruit would be a great form of vitamin C. So like right now peaches and berries are in season. And then thinking of zinc also as an antioxidant. So we can get that in through even our red meat would be a great form, as well as like pepitas, pumpkin seeds. And then all of our B vitamin family, which we know is most concentrated in our organ meats. So like our organ uh, meatballs or our uh, meatloaf wrapped in bacon, those little meatloaf bites are really fantastic to get that really potent B12 and folate and B6 and B5. And then magnesium. I'm always promoting that two to three cups of leafy greens daily. I think that that's something that would be essential as well to get that uh, relaxation influence. Okay. Um, And then last but really not least, um, what about just a little bit on lifestyle? So maybe things that you're digging that are helping with your sleep quality lately. I know we're both like pretty beholden to our eye masks at this point. (laughs) Yeah. So well, I'll link my most updated eye mask. (laughs) Is it still the the Luna one or is it a different one? Okay. Mm -hmm. That's what I have too. I'm loving it. Uh, I just really like the like, uh, it's silk, I believe. Mm -hmm. Right. But the it's, it's like a matte silk, not yep. a shiny silk. And like a washable mm-hmm. silk. Yep. Yes. So a sleep mask. And I think it's now so habitual that it's just the sensation of the sleep mm-hmm. mask that kind of programs me into that sleep hygiene of like, it's sleep time. Yep. So like I travel with it and everything. I do my darndest to have blue blockers on when I'm exposed to the lights. And then again, the, the screen adjustments on the back end of any device I'm using Temperature in the bedroom is huge. Uh, So we have our fan always on high. Um, Switching up like our duvet or our comforter to be airy as we get into the Mm -hmm. summer and not use like a winter comforter in the summer and you're like throwing it off and fighting with your sheets in the bedtime. Uh, And bringing down your thermostat uh, to whatever your household manager allows you. (laughs) (laughs) I think optimal temperature for sleep is um, 68, but don't tell Byron that. (laughs) I know. I'm, I'm lucky 
if I can do 70, uh, like, yeah. cause our house is usually at like 74. Yeah. So yeah. I bring it down like three to four degrees though, to, to help myself like within that last hour in the kitchen to kind of get, uh, honed into a sleep regimen. And then of course, meditation, prayer, gratitude, always really important things. With Stella, we still use a white noise machine. I, I don't do that in my bedroom, uh, but I guess if I was dealing with a lot of rumination and stress, it could be a good distractor to yeah. consider. We, because our baby monitor's in our room and Noah has white noise, we get the passive, passive. <laughs> white noise and I turn it up like pretty high A so I can hear him if he does cry, but I honestly think it's helpful for Byron and I too. I kind of like it. I bet. And then I think moving your body enough, which is definitely connected to this impact with like pandemic and insomnia. Uh, when we look at exercise and movement, individuals that regularly experience sleep disturbances often have low muscle tone and often also are not physically active. And so there's actually been research studies. Uh, one was with 139 participants and in the treatment group, they did a 45 minute exercise five times a week for 24 weeks. And they saw in comparison to the non-intervention group um, that there was significant improvement overall sleep quality compared to that control group. So just that that ritual of moving the body during the waking yeah. hours allows that deeper kind of release during the sleep hours. And I think within that, if you can do a movement that supports parasympathetic balance in the brain, like Tai Chi or Qigong or yoga um, or stretching, and then in the evening time doing more mindfulness, like meditation, prayer, gratitude, really good ways also to kind of set pillars within that mind-body connection. Yeah, so great. All right, so I think we've given you guys a lot in today's episode. It was pretty darn jam-packed with all of the benefits of melatonin. Um, so if you haven't tried our sleep support, I highly recommend that you head on over to AllieMillerRD.com and pick up a bottle of that. As always, thank you all so much for listening and please head on over to iTunes or wherever you listen and leave us a five-star review along with a couple of sentences of why you love the Naturally Nourished podcast. And we hope we'll see you over at Adrenal Rehab. Remember, you can use the code ADRENAL99 to save on that four-week program. And or if you just want to get the weight loss keto results, go on over and grab a spot in that archive program for just $99, all at AllieMillerRD.com. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.